Perverted, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. This is your host Victor Anakin and welcome to another episode of Afro Verdict. Sunday was World Remembrance Day of AIDS victims and the main purpose of that day is to direct our attention to AIDS patients, people living with HIV and to decrease the spread of the disease in the world. Today, I'm joined by Professor Anthony Ajayi, an associate research scientist with the Population Dynamics and Sexual and Reproductive Health Unit at the African Population and Health Research Center in Kenya. Professor Anthony Ajayi, welcome to Afro Verdict. Please give our listeners a brief introduction. Yeah, thank you for having me, uh, Victor. My name is Anthony Ajayi and I work at the African Population and Health Research Center where I conduct research uh, on adolescent sexual reproductive health. Um, I've been at the center now for nearly uh, five years, and I've been doing uh, research on sexual reproductive health in general um, for more than 10 years. Um, I've done some work in South Africa, in Nigeria, and uh, in Malawi, Burkina Faso, um, Zambia, Rwanda, you know, a number of countries, but I've also been involved in also using some of these evidence uh, to shape policies on the continent, um, both at the national as well as the uh, regional and sub-regional levels. Um, And that's Anthony, thank you. Give us an update on the latest statistics on the prevalence of AIDS uh, in Africa or perhaps Kenya in particular. Um, so, um, the HIV prevalence in, in, in South Africa is around 3.2%. However, the, the prevalence is much, much higher in, in some countries and much, much lower in some, some other countries. So for example, um, Swatini has the highest prevalence of HIV, which is around 27.9%. Um, and the Nigeria Republic has uh, the, the lowest HIV prevalence at 0.2%. Uh, so generally, Africa is characterized into three, you know, the HIV epidemic, um, uh, which consists of around 10 countries, Botswana, Lesotho, Mozambique, Namibia, South Africa, Swaziland, Zambia, Zimbabwe. Uh, generally, in those countries, you see prevalence of 10% or more. Um, there's also moderate epidemic where Kenya is classified. Um, Kenya, Malawi, Uganda, Tanzania. Prevalence of HIV is below 10% in these countries. And of course, countries in the West, West Africa uh, region generally have a low HIV prevalence of you know around 1% and below. Um, so that's that's the burden of HIV in, in Africa. It's and even within countries. Uh, you see that some areas are more affected than, than others. You know, I'd mentioned previously that HIV prevalence rate is less than 10% in, in, in Kenya, but, are, but in some districts in Kenya, you have uh, higher, uh, more than 10% HIV prevalence uh, rate. Um, so generally, that's, that's, that's the situation in Africa concerning HIV. All right, I see, thanks. Um... And what would you say, what does the overall progress on the continent in combating HIV and AIDS look like? So there have been um, tremendous progress. I mean, since the 80s, you know, um, before, I think in the 80s as well as 90s, a lot of people died uh, from AIDS. 
Um, but of course, you don't see those uh, number, uh, high number of deaths uh, as it used to be. Uh, new HIV infection has reduced significantly. In fact, the progress in Sub-Saharan Africa in terms of uh, new infection uh, reduction is quite substantial. You know, in countries like um, um, in countries like uh Zimbabwe and Lesotho, we've seen up to 45% decline in new HIV infections. Of course, much of the decline is also influenced uh, by the, pro the prevention of mother-to-child transmission of, of HIV, which we've seen uh, tremendous progress. Um, so, you know, from the latest data, there's been around uh, um, 32% decline since 2010 as well. Um, but um, uh, with COVID affecting uh, some of the response, HIV responses and programs, uh, some of this decline, you know, is believed to be stalling now. You, uh, you noted there was a sharp decline in certain countries in the number of uh, newly detected HIV infections. Um, what is the reason for that? How has the approach to combating HIV and AIDS changed over the years? Um, you see, there have been lots of um, biomedical advancements uh, in HIV treatment. Uh, in particular, you know, we've seen um, you know, improved drugs um, that, that can suppress the virus in the body. And, and of course, with domestic funding and um, and funding from from global solidarity, like the global funds, we've seen, um, you know, most people living with HIV have access to to free drugs, uh, which has to really drive some of the progress uh, we've seen. Um, so there have been um, uh, tremendous efforts to ensure that uh, we're able to suppress the virus, and then and and then if it's suppressed, no one they, they can transmit it to. To another person. So, um, however, uh, um, if you, if you the data, what the data shows is that there, although there have been lots of progress, progress appears to be stalling now due to reduction in funding to programs that work. Um, and of course, countries are unable uh, to replace those uh, fund international funding are no longer coming uh, because of you know some of the challenges that we witness you know that's high inflation as the covid uh, pandemic so countries are, are, are prioritizing resources and uh, you've seen a lot of challenges they are unable to to, to uh, replace the fundings that are no longer there uh, for example there is a recent report that shows that um uh, the, the, the up to 57% decline uh, in, in, in bilateral donors other than the United States. Um, and of course, domestic investments are not replacing uh, those losses, international funding, as I mentioned. So that's a significant change uh, in the response to HIV. You know, I was discussing with someone previous, uh, just two weeks ago, and he says, you know, unlike uh, before, you see condoms uh, have promotion programs available, you know, the drive for HIV testing um, uh, in, in many communities. Those has, you know, have, have disappeared or reduced significantly. And, you know, if uh, people are not um, uh, tested and treated, 
you know, they, they run the risk of not only dying or presenting with advanced disease, but also the risk of spreading the virus to other people. So those are some of the changes we've seen um, and, and recently. Right. You mentioned uh, that there's a decline in global funding for AIDS prevention campaigns and programs. Um, why do you think is that so? Um, uh, I think there are a number of reasons. Uh, I think uh, because of the COVID pandemic, many countries are also facing uh, some economic challenges. The global economy is not growing as it used to. Um, also, I think also if you if you also analyze the global politics, there tend to be uh, some nativism, you know, so, uh, some sentiments um, from citizens to say they must be the priority before you send aid uh, abroad. You've seen that I think in the US, uh, there's been a lot of this, um, especially driven by the the rights group or the conservative group. Um, you know, we need global solidarity to, to, to address a pandemic such as HIV. And that solidarity seems to be waning uh, due to some of the challenges countries are also facing. Um, and, and, and for me, I think that's, that's just one of the reasons. And of course, COVID definitely uh, um, is somewhat responsible, um, given that COVID significantly uh, reduced uh, economic growth. And uh, also sort of, sort of um, make uh, um, make countries have to to prioritize where to put their money. Uh, but of course, there are definitely other reasons. We've seen a lot of um, um, we've seen issues around climate change as well, um, particularly on the continent. You see flooding. Um, and all this damage caused by climate uh, vulnerabilities uh, means that. Uh, countries have to prioritize some response uh, to provide relief um, and, and they move funds away from HIV to sort of address uh, uh, some of these climatic shocks as well. All right, I see. You briefly mentioned the challenges in combating HIV and AIDS. Could you shed some more light on these challenges for our listeners? Um, I think one of the major challenge, uh, I would say, is inequalities. Um, even though we've made uh, significant progress, there's still a lot of inequalities in our response. Um, for example, you see that we are leaving young people behind when it comes to uh, uh, testing and treatment. Also men, um, men generally are not rich with many of these HIV programs. So inequalities remain a major, major barrier uh, to HIV response, uh, to combating HIV. Also, um, there's also stigma and discrimination. And that in itself also hinder people from presenting for care, from testing, as well as uh, taking their medications such that they can suppress the virus. Uh, but more importantly, if we focus on young people, there are interventions known to work uh, to, to educate young people uh, called sexuality education um, that can help young people understand some of their risk when, when it comes to uh, engaging in sex and how to prevent those risks. Those interventions are under attack um, by people uh, by, by people that we call morality police who believe that by educating young people on how to um, understand the risk and protect themselves, uh, they're encouraging young people to engage in sex. And we've seen a, ri a, lot, a rise in that. And there's also a lot of misinformation 
uh, online, um, uh, attacking some of the responses known to work. So those are some of the biggest, biggest challenges, um, other than also the reduction in uh, funding uh, for some of these HIV uh, programs. Thanks. Uh, what prevention programs in reducing the spread of AIDS in Africa are there and uh, which ones, in your opinion, have proven to be most effective? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a, all these community-based HIV response programs, um, social protection programs, male circumcision, you know, services integration, um, universal test and treats, couple testing, investor health coverage are all effective um, uh, strategies and practices uh, used in fighting HIV in Africa, and they all work tremendously. Um, if I probably would want to explain a little further, you know, you know, strangely, uh, we've seen that um, individuals that are male individuals that are uncircumcised tend to have higher risk of HIV, and voluntary um, male circumcision is one of the efforts uh, put in place uh, to uh, combat HIV. And that has worked significantly uh, in, in many countries. Um, also, we've seen universal test and treat um, being one approach uh, to um, reduce the HIV infection in the community and also to improve treatment outcome. And you know, prior to, to, to I think 2016, when countries uh, did not uh, um, are yet to implement universal treat and treat, um, it means that even if you test, you may not be immediately placed on treatment on, until your viral uh, load gets to a particular level, uh, and and it means that you can test and miss lots of people, um, and that are not placed on treatment. So, but now that you can test and assess treatments, uh, it means now that you can suppress the virus and 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 um, reduce your risk of transmitting the, the virus to other people. So, universal test and treat is an important um, and um, uh, uh, intervention. What also works in some other countries is, you know, universal health coverage, allowing or uh, providing free care to migrants. Especially undocumented migrants, uh, we've seen that in um, we've seen that in Eswatini and some other Southern African countries, where the goal is to ensure that everyone uh, affected by HIV is placed on treatment, and so as to control the the, the, the spread of the, the 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 virus, as well as also to improve treatment outcome. Um, so those are among the the effective approach. But more importantly, these approaches are also community-driven. So you see people living with HIV also playing a significant role in, in combating this virus, so in, in, in designing this intervention and also implementing the intervention. And, and their voices sort of matter um, because um, there's not, you can't really uh, program for these people without including them. In in, in 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 developing, designing what would work. So much of these approaches uh, I mentioned are also community-led and community-driven. Also, there is oral uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis. Of course, there's still a significant challenge in um, in uptake of PrEP on the continent. Other than South Africa and Kenya, most countries have not necessarily uh, rolled out uh, PrEP uh, to, to uh, at-risk population. 
Um, but what I would say is that um, it's also one approach or biomedical tool that can, you know, be effective uh, in, in combating HIV. But again, um, it hasn't been um, accepted uh, or rolled out widely. For those of you that have just tuned in, I'm your host, Victor Anakin, and you're listening to Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. In a conversation with health scientist Professor Anthony Ajayi, we are discussing how cultural practices and tradition impact the spread of sexually transmitted infections, HIV in particular. Um, you mentioned... I'm just going to move on on to a rather perhaps controversial topic. But speaking of uh, circumcision, I know that in the Xhosa culture of South Africa, Ulwaluko is a tradition and the initiation of young boys into manhood. Uh, so this practice has health benefits in terms of reducing the chances of HIV infection, as you've mentioned. Um, however, on the other hand, I've also, during my stay in South Africa, I've heard of a lot of uh, misconceptions about certain practices that, you know, could rid you of uh, AIDS or like cure AIDS. Uh, what role do cultural beliefs and practices play in the spread of AIDS and HIV um, in Africa in general? And perhaps uh, you could tell us about specific practices and cultural beliefs in Kenya and how can they be addressed? Um, you know, when well, I, I thought immediately when I hear your question, I just thought about female genital mutilation. Mm -hmm. um, female, you know, female genital mutilation is a practice where uh, um, it's a traditional practice that is old. And so we have uh, traditional circumcisers that would uh, perform these um, uh, mutilation. Uh, of the of the female genital the genitalias, often they use uh, unsterilized uh, sharp objects, which can um, further spread HIV. Uh, in fact, there have been studies that show that um, circum uh, female circumcision, uh, especially done by these traditional circumcisers, um, puts young people uh, at risk of contracting HIV. Also, practices like child marriage, where young uh, girls are married off to you know older older men, uh, also put them at risk of contracting HIV. And of course, that's um, some of these uh, practices that you know, we can call cultural practices and beliefs. I wouldn't say sexual violence itself is the uh, cultural practices, but of course, uh, as you know, in some cultures. Um, intimate partner violence is, is sort of justified, you know, and in a way, it's, it's studies have shown that um, you know intimate partner violence puts uh, women and girls at risk of HIV. So for me, but I know, of course, as you rightly mentioned, there have also been um, um, talks around uh, traditional healers or religious healers that can cure HIV, even though their methods have not been scientifically proven. Well, what these people do is that they make people throw away their ARVs. So the, the people then do not use their medications in, in, in hope of seeking healing. Um, 
uh, in churches or even uh, among traditional healers. And of course, that puts their life at risk because when they do not use the medication, they decrease progress and then some even died as a result. So those are some of the cultural beliefs and, and practices that, that not only spread HIV, but also puts people uh, at risk of, of dying. And uh, I think for me, it's important to continue to educate people. Education is important. Uh, when people are educated, and they are aware of some of these, uh, the dangers of some of these cultural beliefs and practices, perhaps they are able to protect themselves. It's also important to replace uh, these initiation ceremonies with alternative rites of passages um, that can help people preserve their culture, but also um, uh, prevent risky errands in, in, in practices like FGM, uh, as I mentioned. Also, voluntary male circumcision is uh, also an, an important uh, uh, intervention that can uh, help reduce the spread of HIV. So for me, it's about designing intervention with religious leaders. It's about working with the community uh, to identify what might, what practices might be, uh, might put people's life at risk or make them vulnerable to HIV and helping to, and working with them to address it. So community leadership is important in, in addressing some of this issue because if you go to any community to work uh, in dispelling some of these cultural beliefs, you probably will not be successful. But if you work with the traditional leaders, with the community leaders, um, help them understand some of the risk inherent in their practices, um, perhaps we can begin to see some progress. All right. And um, still dwelling on the topic of cultural practices, uh, which ones, do, do you know of any cultural practices that or traditions that have a positive impact on uh, combating the spread of HIV and AIDS? Uh, for me, um, in, in, in many communities where they practice uh, male circumcision, uh, we've seen very low uh, rate of HIV prevalence. So in a way, male circumcision, which is also a traditional practice, can in fact have some benefits in reducing HIV. So that's one that uh, I can immediately think of. Also, um, in communities where, where the... Um, where the... Where the uh, how do I put it? There are some communities that where virginity is pressured and, um, you know, they ensure that uh, they preach, uh, they, they preach um, sexual purity, um, abstinence. Such communities where those practices are entrenched as well, um, we've seen that they have also low, low prevalence of HIV. And that's not to say that, you know, like being, you know, on the continent, that uh, it's not a conservative society. Africa is likely a conservative society. However, these traditional practices of uh, sexual purity is more pronounced in certain communities than the others. So there are some communities that even do virginity tests, uh, you know, uh, as part of the right of marriage. And then it's a, it's a huge shame if you are found not to be a virgin uh, at marriage. So this is, again, as some could potentially benefit, um, and, uh, it could offer potential benefit in reducing 
the spread of HIV. I see. Um, what do you think can individuals and communities do to help combat the spread of AIDS and HIV on the continent? Um, for me, individuals can do a lot, um, I, 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 but it's important that we empower individuals to make the right choices. Uh, empowerment means that they are equipped with knowledge and agency to take action in their best interest. It also means that they have the resources to protect themselves. Uh, young, For example, young people need um, sexuality education. And they also need to be adequately supported to such that they are not lured into transactional sex or intergenerational sex. Um, so communities also can, can you know, develop programs to create awareness around HIV and encourage HIV testing, um, including couple testing. You know, I've seen some communities make HIV testing as a requirement uh, for marriage. Um, that should be encouraged um, because the more people are, are tested, the more then we can place them on treatment. So communities can have standards around marriage, you know, incorporating HIV testing in some of their practices within a community such that, you know, uh, anyone um, with HIV can be on treatment. So I think communities can play some role in that regards. But more importantly, communities also have, um, you know, their own way of, um, of providing sexuality education to, to, to young people. You know, it's important that government then work with the community such that information around HIV are included in their own traditional form of sexuality education as well. Um, but be it, whether it's a church community or the traditional community or the kinship communities, they all have roles to play in spreading the message and creating awareness. Um, thank you. Great. Uh, lastly, in in honor of World Remembrance Day of AIDS victims, what is your message to communities and specifically young people as a medical professional? Uh, so for me, I would say we've made a lot of progress and um, it's important that we maintain the gains. It's important that we continue um, to advocate for more resources. Uh, to fund programs that reduce the spread of HIV and then make treatment available uh, uh, for people. And I also will probably want to encourage young people to take their health in their own hands to, to, to educate themselves uh, such that they are able to adequately assess their risk and adequately protect themselves. Uh, for me, uh, the community themselves or community of people living with HIV have um, contributed to the efforts uh, to reduce spread of HIV. So for me, it's important that we continue to fund them uh, to do the important work they do. Great. Um, uh, Professor Ajayi, thank you so much for joining AfroVerdict today. And I'm sure the young people that are listening to us have a lot to learn and they will definitely apply the information that you provided us with. Uh, thank you very much for having me.
That was Professor Anthony Ajayi, who explained that the dynamics of AIDS on the continent are rather different from country to country, but significant progress has been made due to various awareness programs and campaigns. He also stressed that governments should work with local tradition leaders and healers so that communities can simultaneously preserve their traditions and prevent disease from spreading. Dear listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope you found today's episode interesting, but most importantly, that you enjoyed it. I'd like to remind you that you can now listen to Afro Verdict podcasts on multiple platforms such as CastBox, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, Deezer, and AfriPods. Check out the Sputnik Africa Telegram channel to stay on top of local and global events. Stay safe and protect those around you. And until next time. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.